Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo. Today, we have Craig Campobasso. He has written a book called The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac, The Ultimate Guide to Greys, Reptilians, Hybrids, and Nordics. And uh, he is also working on a movie called Stranger at the Pentagon about Valiant Thor. Thank you for coming on today. Hey, thank you for having me. I just realized, is your last name Italian as well? Cacciolillo, yes. Yes, see? That's why you were able to pronounce my name so well. It's tough, get, <laughs> it, it, it's tough getting the syllables right sometimes. That's true, that's true. <laughs> so, how are you? I am pretty good. How are you? Good. So, Very uh, good. So, let's start from the beginning. What got you going down the uh, extraterrestrial rabbit hole? Well, I, when I was 26 years old, I, I had a major spiritual awakening. And uh, before, before that, I was uh, totally asleep. I was not into anything UFO-related, nor did I ever think about it. Um, I was not into... Um, science fiction. I was not into Star Trek or Star Wars or anything of that nature. And, um, and I had this giant spiritual awakening, which sort of just opened my eyes to um, life elsewhere in the universe. And uh, I just became a very curious seeker and started reading lots and lots of books on the subject, attending seminars, talks, um, uh, started meeting uh, abductees, contactees, interviewing them, um, uh, getting in with some of the top uh, hypnotherapists who do uh, pretty much alien abductions or contacts as well. And and just immersed myself in uh, in the whole thing over a course of over 35 years. So during this course, I've met uh, all the ufologists um, and uh, I've gone on cases um, with them and uh, have investigated some, uh, some, uh, on my own or with another friend, because it was a friend who was abducted. In fact, in the very back of the extraterrestrial species almanac, I was on such a case in the Carolinas. And as, uh, the gentleman who was abducted was showing me where the beings were walking out from the forest in his backyard, I was snapping photos with my Minolta camera and actually captured the being on camera. So I put it in the, uh, in the, as the last entry in the back of the book. Oh, and wow. uh, yeah. And the interesting thing was, is the very next photo after the photo I took of the being, it was nothing but streamers of plasma falling from the sky. 
it was so unique. So I also put that picture in there as well. But this being's body was a little different. Like its legs only came up to like where our knees would be. Mm -hmm. And then the rest was a very long torso. Um, and, uh, uh, had arms, a little longer neck, a, a longer elongated head. Um, very unique, very interesting. So, um, so I, throughout the course of these 35 years, I have read lots of books on contactee cases, uh, where people here on earth were actually having physical contacts with beings from other worlds, some human, some not human, um, all, all of all of them were positive. Mm -hmm. um, and then on some races that were a little more enigmatic, like the mantis beings, um, I've even talked to some of the top researchers and things, and they just say there is very little on the mantis beings. Uh, so I actually found a woman who uh, claims to be a mantis hybrid. Hmm. Uh, and I met um, uh, many other hybrids, and I've known uh, hybrids over the years, and uh, their stories are all different, unique, and interesting. Um, they're, they're all varied. One, one woman, for instance, uh, her father worked in the military, and they were in contact with many races, and so they did a exchange of genetic materials and so they had four our military had four different races one of them was reptilian and so they did an experiment um where they injected the embryo in the wife uh with his sperm and uh and they had a daughter and um uh, she didn't know anything about this until he was on his deathbed sometime when she was in her 30s. And uh, she was very unique looking, we'll just say. She had very unique eyes. They were almost aqua colored. Her hands were a little bit different. She was the kindest, sweetest, most loving uh, person. And... Um, and then other uh, other hybrids also claim, you know, they're they're star seeds and a part of their uh, a part of their contract coming in, not only to raise consciousness, is also to um, uh, to donate genetic materials to uh, create uh, a mix of extraterrestrial human hybrids. And, uh, and along with earth beings and uh, those they call the seventh ray race. And those are also in the book under hybrids. And then there are, um, there are uh, other hybrids that I've spoken to who uh, also say that their embryo was injected with extraterrestrial DNA. And, you know, it sort of brings me back when you when you look like Egypt is one of my favorite periods in history when when it had you know the long succession line of pharaohs so we get to Akhenaten who looks like an extraterrestrial right, right. i mean the guy is very tall and thin and has this long elongated head and 
uh, they're serious beings, uh, the tall Syrians that mm-hmm. very much look like that. Uh, the tall Syrians are also in the book. So I started thinking, well, could the beings from Sirius B have injected his mother's embryo with that DNA? And that's why he came out like that. And you have to remember, he was the guy that abolished all of the Egyptian gods and created the one god, Ra. Right. Right. So it was the first time that we were, you know, everyone was looking to one God. And then, of course, when he died, they went back. Yeah. He made some people kind of angry. Yes, exactly. So so um, so that was interesting. So what I did is I went and I picked out a lot of my favorite contact contactee books, uh, contacted either the authors or the publishers and um got the rights to, uh, you know, to do a thumbnail review on those races in the book. So if somebody is very interested in uh, the Arians, for instance, and and the Ni, it's G-N-E, they're um, Asian races uh, that come from Aldebaran. And uh, they can go to the back of the book and they can look that up and then they can see... Uh, what, where the book, uh, what the name of the book is, and where they can go to purchase it if they want to purchase it. So, um, so other interesting races that I really like were the It's a Purins, and there's uh, that book was called UFO Contact from Planet Itibi Ra, and at a certain point in in their evolution, their entire planet was dying. And so they set out and they found three uh, planets that were nearby. And they, in increments, they moved their entire civilization along with aquatic life and uh, animals, plants, everything uh, to this new world. But then what they did is they put their machinery on a whole nother world because they said the machinery caused cancer is what they found. And then they took the third planet and made it a a heart planet that was based in unconditional love and that they would, they set it up where this would emanate that love out into the other two worlds that they, uh, that they're a part of as well. Hmm. So that was very interesting. Um, And then they have some little, uh, you know, they don't eat solid food. So they're very interested in different kinds of fruits and things and making hybrids of fruit. So they spent time on earth and the Amazon um, uh, grafting their fruits with our fruits, our fruits, grafting different ones to create new tastes and things like that. So um, then there's, um, there was uh, another book that I really like called Planet Cold Ass. Um, and uh, these beings um, uh, had to, the ones that were going to be a part of the solar system where uh, that primarily revolved around Earth, those commanders had to actually come down to Earth and they had to uh, uh, live here. I can't remember if it was like a three-year period, something like that. And they had to get a job and they had to befriend the community 
and get to know and learn who Earth people were. And then if it was a star seed, um, and especially in this case, there were there was a, a gentleman who was a star seed, so he was very open to it at one point. Um, that commander explained himself and um, uh, and, and told him who he was, which therefore uh, uh, came upon uh, the making of the book. So um, the Umites are another human race that, that have been here many times. Um, and they were in Italy, somewhere online, if you type in uh, UMO, U-M-M-O, uh, being eight feet tall, there is a picture of a presumed uh, UMO man uh, when he was here. And uh, he's standing in front of some trees. He's wearing shorts and a Hawaiian shirt, uh, but he was eight feet tall. And, uh, and what their, their tactic was they wanted to, they, they came here and started writing letters to scientists and things like that about, um, how, how they could help the environment and how they could help Earth become, uh, more ecologically, um, safe for its mm-hmm. citizens, uh, because they knew we were going down this, uh, um, bad path, um, pollu- pollution, etc. So um, uh, the regalians from Rigel were a uh, sort of like a, a lizard kind of looking race with a humanoid type body. And they actually brought a 14-year-old Cherokee girl up from the reservation in Arizona, or I'm not sure. Well, I don't know if it was Arizona or where the Cherokee Nation was at that time, but I think it was Arizona. Um, And what they did is they hooked her up to a telepathic uh, headgear, and the being wore the telepathic headgear, and he explained about who they were, and um, and showed her around the ship, and uh, he wore a, a black stone uh, around his neck, uh, sort of almost diamond shaped. And then he would touch a, a metallic wall, and it would open up with the stone, and gave her a tour. So when she uh, when she came back, she could remember the entire. Um, uh, meeting with with this uh with this lizard looking guy um there's a great uh, artist rendering of him in the book as well um and then there's the yargans which uh that book was called ufo contact from planet yarga and their planet is basically water the only landmass they have would uh, would be equivalent to australia so they used to be aquatic beings and now they're land beings, but they would resemble more of what we would say is a seal in a humanoid body. And um, they did have their skin is sort of like a seal as well. And um, they're, they're not, uh, they are more group based um, in the sense that they do things in groups and they find that very satisfying to them. 
um, uh, not like regular humans or, you know, a lot of us are individualistic and, and that kind of thing. So, um, so they live in these law in these big sort of tall round buildings uh, that go high into the sky because they don't have a lot of land. And, uh, and in the middle, they have parks and things like that. And, um, you know, rail systems and uh, things of that nature as well and then um uh i'll go through a, just a couple more races and then we'll move on to something else uh another human race or the clarions um there's a woman named elizabeth clarer uh k-l-a-r-e-r -E she was south african um she was a star seed from clarion and her husband, at one point when she grew into a young woman here, came back and reintroduced himself. And, um, and they ended up uh, continuing their love affair. And she became pregnant with a boy. He took her back to Clarion where she had the baby. And then they brought her back here. Uh, he said the baby had to live there because... Um, uh, because of the way that it's DNA and everything, the makeup, he wouldn't have survived on earth. So uh, she passed away uh, some time ago. Uh, but people, if they're really interested in them, they could, uh, they could just look her up online and listen to a lot of wonderful interviews she gave. Um, but the uh, re re most recent contact is a man in uh, Italy named Maurizio Cavallo. And he wrote a wonderful book called Beyond the Heavens. And uh, he has face-to-face -face contact with them all the time. And uh, he has taken pictures of several of them. So he allowed me to put in the book uh, a male and a female clarion. Um, and the women look, uh, it's really interesting. The, uh, the woman that, uh, that I put in the book, her name is Nelfa. And um, they have very petite features and they look like these beautiful living dolls almost. It's just uh, really, really interesting. Um, and then another, another one are the Apunians or the beings from Alpha Centauri. They, they pretty much visit a lot of uh, in South America. Um, their contactee down there is a man named Ricardo Gonzalez who has written um a book called contact from planet apu beings from the future and uh, he's got a, a few other books out as well but he's he has face-to-face -face contact with uh um uh a being called Antaral, and um and uh who's very very tall and so they come and they appear and uh in a sort of a giant half orb that that shows up on the ground and then inside they are there in their altered reality so it, it's really quite interesting at a certain point ricardo took a giant group of people out to mount shasta into this big clearing and they meditated and they were calling in the craft and then Antaral had picked out um, 
some people from the group to bring into the forest to meet him, upon which they did. And a friend of mine was actually there. He didn't get picked, but he said, I was witnessing it from where we were in the forest and could see the lights and everything. And he said, and when people came out, they were like catatonic, literally catatonic. Wow. Yeah, because they had just actually met someone from somewhere else. Yeah. Interesting, huh? It's all fascinating. They're they're all great stories. It's like I say, you know, I've just been in it for a long time, Mm -hmm. and I chose my sort of favorite stories to include uh, in the book. And then if people want to research them further, they can. And uh, and then it's left up to them whether they want to believe it or not. Awesome. Um, is there any particular race that is more active with the humans than others? Yes, there's... Um, well, in the... Um, in the Starsea program, there are many races that that are incarnating on Earth to raise their consciousness quicker because they've already been fully conscious. So they come in and hear their dualistic. And then those races help them to evolve on a quicker timeline. And, and they become extremely spiritual. And then they start some some kind of spiritual work, whether it's in to fix pollution, um, to write books on spirituality, to give lectures, to uh, whatever area it is, it's all here to benefit mankind, right? Right. So, but in the sense of, of people having meetings with certain beings, there are lots of people who have uh, contact with um, uh, clarion beings as well because they are a human race. Some are having them with Syrians, uh, Syrian humans, others with Pleiadians. Um, and some of these could be physical. Some of them could be uh, in the dream state. Some of them could be in the astral. Mm-hmm. And um, and as it was explained to me, it doesn't matter where you're having the experience with them. You are still having the experience because it is in your body, right? Because if you're in the astral with them, you're in your soul body. If you're uh, um, if you go on board the craft, which many people talk about going on board craft and and seeing and meeting uh, lots of other different extraterrestrials and seeing family and friends on board the craft, even though they might not remember, um, they're going up in their spirit body as well. So there's, you're still having the experience and it's still, that experience is still going within your cellular structure and into your consciousness. So, so you are still having these, uh, you know, these experiences, even though they may not be physical. And sometimes they're better if they're not physical because people are able to digest them better. Hmm. Yeah. Have you heard of a race of beings that have like pinkish, blotchy skin and are very intelligent? I have not, but I will tell you since I wrote this book, so many people have written me and told me about the different races that they've been seeing. Um, 
one lady told me about the peppered Pleiadians. I had never heard of them before. So evidently they have like this, uh, their skin, and then it's like got all kinds of dots all over it. Um, I was talking with a woman last night after a radio show and uh, she was she had drawn the beings. I have never seen beings like this in my life. It was the most bizarre looking thing. It's almost like, you know, when you see some of the beings like the triangle heads, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, wow, that is so unique and specific. This was the same thing, but in a totally different way. And you just wonder, well, how does all of this come about? And is it done? Are other beings making these, uh, are, are they creating these races? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, how, how do they just come into being? It's always fascinated me. Um, I'm sure if there was a universal book on the beings, it, it would probably go from one end of the universe to the other. Mm -hmm. well, the reason right. I asked that question is I was interviewing somebody, his name was Terry Lovelace the other day. And he told me about this being. And uh, well, he was abducted. He saw it. And he said it was just like really shocking. And um, and he was also, you know, the, the greys were involved in his abduction too. And he said like the greys were sort of like under the control of this, of this other alien being. Mm -hmm. um, but, but most of the cases I've heard of about the greys is that they're more like workers. Is that true? Well, they're, they're, uh, it is and it isn't. So there are some of the, some of the w ones that are more workers, I categorize as EBs, extraterrestrial biological entities, because they're created and they're, and they're, ba they're, uh, inside their body, they're based on uh, chlorophyll, right? Mm -hmm. They don't they don't have blood or anything like that. Um, then you have, and those are sort of fashioned after what a gray would look like, a small gray. Then you have, um, then you have uh, the more malevolent grays. Uh, and by the way, they come in all sizes little tiny ones all the way up to big tall ones and um and the difference i would say in in abductions and things of that nature is they are abducting people against their will and they are raping them of their genetic materials right mm -hmm. and then they usually put a tracker in them yes. because they want to track them and they want to see exactly where they're going and then they and then we found out that they usually track a whole genetic line so if it's happening to one person it's going to happen to somebody else in their family or one of their children or or something like that um i i met a man who was abducted once and they put eye implants behind his eyeballs so that they could see everything he was seeing in his daily life on earth. And he was so freaked out. And I have to say, when he lifted up um, his eyelids and I actually saw the device uh, clinched around the back of his eyeballs, it was pretty terrifying because 
I would never want that to happen to me, let alone to this man. I mean, he was in such a dilemma. Uh, you know, I would have to go to the doctor and they would have to remove my eyeballs to remove this thing. Right. And then if they did, would the aliens just come back and put it back in? That's weird. Right. I mean, it's so bizarre. Um, and I've had other abductees talk about the experience that they know that they're looking through their eyes, mm. right? Mm. They have this really strange experience with that. So, so they're, they're doing it against people's will. Now, what's that agenda is what, uh, uh, we've heard many different scenarios of agendas that they, went more into the scientific in in their culture um they no longer had the capacity to love and they also lost their ability to ascend so they didn't have that soul matrix uh that we have so that's why they look to us as royalty dna royalty and uh use that dna to uh, go from generation to generation to reactivate it and that kind of thing. Or another scenario is that they want to um, ascend so that they continue, can try and continue their dark agenda in the next realm. Mm. That's that, you know, but I will tell people right now that will never happen. I mean, that would never happen because the beings in the next realm would never let something like that get in because in the next realm where we're, uh, uh, from what I understand, we're, we're half physical, half spirit. We still enjoy the experiences of touch and things like that. But now we're in a realm where there's a lot of love and we're no longer living in duality. Right. So, so everything is in a much happier place and that type of thing. So do, do these aliens have a treaty between the government um, in exchange, like the government allows them to abduct a certain amount of people and in return, we get some technology. Well, they say that there, that there was a treaty that was signed back in the days of Eisenhower and that that treaty um, allowed them to um, abduct like street people or, or people that um, were not uh, a prominent figure in society um, just to observe them and that was it right mm -hmm. so and there there uh, i i think there was a certain number but then also i heard and and you have to understand this is just all hearsay it's all uh ufo conspiracy theorists all of that but when when but i always find when these things are leaked there is always some sort of shred of truth to them. So, uh, and will we ever know the full truth? Hopefully someday. Um, but uh, then it was said that they found some of their uh, 
crash saucers. And on those saucers were animal and human body parts. So they knew that they weren't doing what they said that they were going to do. So, and it was an exchange for technology. Um, so that's why uh, from that era, you know, transistors, all that kind of thing sort of came into being. And, and again, it's all about the uh, making, making the big giant dollars with that technology yeah. and technology to hold uh, all other nations uh, in gratitude. Hmm. <laughs> so because have, have you been able to talk to uh, Laura Eisenhower? Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, she knows she knows a lot about that. So. Yeah, I've tried to get her on the show, but she hasn't responded. Yeah, she's she's her schedule is so busy. I, w I did her radio show about six weeks ago. Uh, we've been friends for a very long time, but uh, but she she is one who knows a lot of those theories really, really well. And uh, and she talks about them all the time. So um, so I'm sure a lot of people could, if they really wanted to know, they could uh, go and listen to some of her archived uh, radio shows. I think she's on YouTube now, right? Isn't it YouTube? I don't know. I haven't really. Uh, I'm not sure, but I think uh, check for just Laura Eisenhower under YouTube. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um. So one of, the, one of the other species that we were talking about before we got on the air, or one of the topics we were talking about, was uh, your, your your short film, which is, hopefully is going to be a full feature film, which is about Valiant Thor. Yes. Yes. So that yeah. is a and, huge And, and I love story. this story. It's one of my favorite stories. Yes. And you and everybody else. I mean, I had no idea. Um how beloved this story actually is. I, I read the book in the eighties and, um, and I really liked it. It was vignettes of stories and things about Valiant Thor, Dr. Frank's life and, uh, um, and uh, his interactions with Thor and a lot of stuff about their craft and, and uh, things like that. So I um, I think it was in 2001, uh, my casting partner and I, uh, I forget what film we were doing. I don't know if it was Gods and Generals or something. Uh, anyway, she said, oh, my God, this I have these two friends, this married couple from Arizona, and they're. Uh, they're coming into town and you can finally meet them. They're coming to the office. I said, oh, I can't wait. And, and um, I think he was in his 80s at the time and she was in her 70s. And right off the bat, and she was just as sweet as sugar. And she just had this little sweet Southern voice and soft spoken. And she said, well, Craig, you know, our friend, Dr. Frank, and I just looked at her oddly and I said, do you mean strangers? And she goes, yeah, you want to meet him? And I went, yeah, I would love to meet him. And I literally was having lunch with him the following week. 
And it was a very long lunch and uh, just talked about all kinds of things. And I thought that was going to be it. It was a fan lunch. I was the fan, right? And uh, anyway, we ended up um, uh, staying in touch right away. And, um, and then at a certain point, he called me and he said, and he had told me how many stops and starts he's had with trying to get a movie off the ground. And listen, I've been in the movie business since I was 15 and I'm old now. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm 60, 61 now. So the thing is, when you are not in the business, you really don't know how things work. And this is how people get taken. So he said, would you come to this meeting with me? There's a gentleman that wants to, to make it into a movie. And I said, yes, I will definitely come to that meeting. So I went with uh, Dr. Frank and his wife to the meeting and listened to this very nice man and looked him up. He didn't have any credentials in film whatsoever. And um, so uh, several days after the meeting, I called him up and I said, look, I can't find anything online about you. Um, and uh, do you have a resume? Do you have something that you can send me? And he said, nope. And I only do business on a handshake. <laughs> And I, and I said, well, then you're not doing business with Dr. Frank. So, so instead of calling and telling Dr. Frank, I took him to lunch and I let him down easy. I just told him, I said, look, you know, I'm just, uh, I've seen these things. This is just not meant to be. So anyway, uh, a literal tear rolled down his cheek and and I told him, I said, you know, Dr. Frank, you really can't make a movie out of your book because it's just vignettes of stories. There's there's not a thread. There's, you know, and I said, and your book goes from the 50s all the way into the 80s. So there there's not a consistency there. And um, and then I said, and I'll prove it to you. I'm going to go through the book and I'm going to do that. So I'm going through the book and. I'm doing that and I send him, you know, the stuff. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, we could do it. It could be two different movies. It could be Dr. Frank's story or it could be Valiant Thor's story. I said, I know what I would want to see. I'd want to see Valiant Thor's story. Well, let me ask Dr. Frank. And he agreed with me. He said, no, people want to see Valiant Thor's story. So I would be a second banana. And I said, well, let me, let me just start writing down questions and things like that. And so I interviewed him for several years um, every week and listened to all the stories that weren't in the book. Mm -hmm. And so I crafted uh, a screenplay. And when I finished, I gave it to Dr. Frank. He made some notes and he, uh, he said he would give it to uh, Thor when he saw him. And uh, he's, uh, about a week later, he called me and said, um, yeah, he actually popped in the office. Dr. Frank were going really early. And before his secretary would arrive, they would usually pop in and converse with him in his office. 
and um, he said, uh, he doesn't read, he just held it and absorbed it. And I said, well, what notes did he have? And he said, um, he just said to tell you, good job. And I said, okay, well, that's a little fishy because there's always notes, right? So anyway, I went to bed that night. And when I woke up in the morning, all the notes were swimming around my head like the rings of Saturn. And, uh, and, I, and I then understood, okay, they're going to start downloading the notes into me while I sleep at night. So that's how the process was um, for all of the rewrites and mm-hmm. everything. And, uh, and then we sort of got it to a place and I was uh, starting to talk to uh, various producers who uh, were either Academy Award nominated or, or won Academy Awards. And, uh, and then Dr. Frank passed away and that was in 2008. And I just was so devastated, um, that, uh, I lost him and, and his wife, uh, lost him as well. Um, that we all were in such a state of mourning that I just put it on the shelf and just thought, okay, well, this was just not meant to be. And um, so, and then around 2012, I, I was one of the casting directors on Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow with uh, Angelina Jolie and Jude Law. And I also worked with the producer on another film uh, called The Perfect House with David Hyde Pierce. Um, and she produced all the Saw movies, right? So, right. so... The Saul movies made a short film that raised their financing. Uh, Carrie Conran, who wrote um, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, did a incredible short film. And that's what raised the financing for Sky Captain. So I said, I need to make a short film. And I'll just call in all my favors from all of my buddies uh, in the film industry and I cast actors so I can do that and uh, all of that. So, so what I did is I took the, um, the main line of the movie and just sewed some scenes together as a sort of presentation to investors and left it with a cliffhanger ending. And, um, and in the short film, we had, I think it was between 80 and 90 visual effects. That's a lot for a short film. So, um, so I had to raise the money for the initial, anything I wanted or needed if I asked for it, it would mysteriously appear within a day, out of nowhere. It was the most incredible experience making this movie. And um, so uh, anyway, we made it. And then I was going to uh, start showing it to investors. And then... Um, and then... Uh, uh, the Burbank Film Festival found out about it and said, hey, we'd like to see it. 
And I said, okay. So I took it over and showed the, the guy that runs it. And at the end, I have a clip of Dr. Frank talking about Valiant Thor and I have a picture of Valiant Thor in there. And the guy just flipped. He was like, oh my God, I totally thought this was science fiction and you have this element at the end. This is incredible. He goes, I'm making it an official selection right now. So, um, so we, uh, we had the, uh, premiere. It was in a theater that had 275 seats. We filled every seat was filled for people who wanted to see Stranger at the Pentagon. And uh, they even had to put on another screening at midnight and the theater was half full at midnight to see it again. So, um, and then we won uh, the festival and then we won another festival. And, um, and then I just started, kept working on um, getting all the elements together for uh, the screenplay and uh, everything. So, now everything is put together. We have uh, a wonderful package. We're uh, talking to investors. If there are any millionaires out there listening to this right now and you want to invest, call me. <laughs> call <laughs> you me know, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and you, you can reach me through my like Stranger at the Pentagon website. You can go there and, you know, uh, email me there and I'll eventually get it. So, um, anyway, uh, so, so that all of that is extremely exciting, but then for people that don't know the story is that there were extraterrestrials that came and talked to government officials and told them that Valiant Thor was going to be coming, you know, he's a universal emissary, he's a created being, and um, he would, uh, and that he would meet with the president. And, uh, and so Valiant Thor arrived on March 16th, 1957, at 8am in the morning, it was a Saturday, they uh, picked him up, brought him to uh, the Pentagon, um, then they went, uh, he met with the secretary of defense and then he, uh, they took him downstairs to the train that took them straight over to, uh, the white house. Uh, there he met with Eisenhower, Nixon, uh, the joint chiefs, etc. And, uh, and the time allotted for him to be here on earth was three years. So he had, uh, a Pentagon apartment, which was below the Pentagon, uh, where he lived. And he would have meetings and he would help and assist in certain areas that he felt was safe to. He also helped in the early stages of NASA as well that were just getting their feet off the ground. Dr. Mm -hmm. Frank said that he helped them regulate their spacesuits and things like that because uh, the astronauts were constantly getting sick and throwing up and that type of thing. And, um, and, uh, but then, you know, at that time, the military industrial complex was just taking root. And we know this because Eisenhower in his farewell speech spoke about the dangers of the military industrial complex. So, they basically wanted Thor's technologies and baited him 
throughout this period of time to uh, to see if he would give it to them. And of course, he wouldn't. He wouldn't <laughs> give them anything that they could use to destroy people or the planet or anything like that. Typical but he was humans. here. Yes, exactly. He was here in the capacity to also advise the president on the ways of the universe, how things work. Uh, it, it was it was a multiple um, expansion of things. Um, uh, Nixon was, uh, had befriended him uh, more than Eisenhower because Eisenhower was really busy with all kinds of stuff. But um, anyway, uh, so... In the end, they uh, turn the proposal down um, because of um, they said it would put doctors, nurses, pharmaceutical companies, electrical companies, everybody out of business, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and now, and again, just to reiterate, Eisenhower and Nixon were for his proposal. It came to a vote between the whole uh, kit and caboodle, which was the military industrial complex, NSA, FBI, CIA, all of that. And so it definitely was voted down. Um, so he departed on March 16th, 1960. And he returned exactly one year later. And he set up a shop, so to speak. Um, he came with a uh, giant starship that was 14 miles long and seven miles wide where lots of universal beings uh, uh, lived and, and still do. It's still in the above atmosphere. Um, his Victor class fleet uh, is stationed in 287 locations around the world. Um, uh, the, blueprints actually to victor one because these craft these fleet craft are 300 feet in diameter and i think it's 97 feet from the top of the antenna on the top all the way to the bottom wow. and they're, yeah they're double deckered and each craft can hold 200 people so uh and then valiant thor has vice commanders he has a uh, vice commander teal um, she's really a universal teacher, um, and she does uh, all different kinds of uh, uh, tasks. I mean, she can fly the craft. She can do. She's a multitasker. Mm -hmm. uh, there's Thon, who's uh, a sort of an organic consciousness engineer. Dawn is. Um, is uh, usually with Valiant when he's doing lots of his different things. There's Zan, who would kind of be a medical officer, but more for starseeds, um, that type of thing, because they don't need it because they're in perfect harmony with their bodies. So, um, and they're fully conscious, so. Um, and then there's also another creative being named Yanaya, and Yanaya is from Melchizedek, and uh, he's a Melchizedek master teacher. 
and uh, and then he has an associate named Yo or Yeo, and um, and then uh, about every thirty days or it's thirty or ninety days, there's a rotation that happens in all of the ships where everyone shifts and goes to a different ship. And they start to learn different jobs and things of that nature. So everyone there is brought up early on um, that they all learn every job because really you don't become an adult until you're about 70 years old because they live so long. So there, there is all of this time for learning and, um, uh, and, and, and on the hand jobs if somebody really wanted to be a part of the fleets and things like that, then they can volunteer for that. And, uh, and then they kind of go to different things and they can go to starships and motherships and things of that nature. So um, one story Dr. Frank told me when he was on board uh, the starship is he was telling me about all the different colors of skin that were there. He said every color imaginable was like amazing he said but there was a race of humans that their skin was black and white like a zebra and i always thought that was interesting and um tom dongo and i were doing a show uh a couple weeks ago do you know who he is tom yeah. dongo mm -hmm. okay so and we did a show uh today as well together and um and he was talking about Linda Mooton Howe, uh, who had heard about this race of beings that had the zebra-shaped skin, um, I believe maybe through a contactee or something like that. So, so it's just fascinating to um, hear all of this and to just sort of see it. And, and uh, I think, you know, the world's really kind of getting ready to start embracing uh, humanity elsewhere and, and that type of thing. So, uh, so this movie is definitely would be a part of that sort of disclosure from early on, hmm. uh, only in the sense of, of healing those situations mm -hmm. from long ago. And um and just bringing this story uh, forth. Uh, I can't tell you how many people have called me over the years or things of that nature and said, I worked for the Secret Service back in those days. The story is true. I did this. I was at, I can't prove mm -hmm. it because, you know, they wouldn't give me their full names or things like that for fear. But there were other interesting ideas. Like there was a man that used to do a radio show named Kevin Smith. And um, we were talking about uh, Admiral Byrd earlier. Yes. Uh, one of, I think, Admiral Byrd's nephews is in his band. They have a rock and roll band. And so he had interviewed me. But we used to talk uh, privately a lot. And... He told me, he said, look, I can't tell you much. He said, but I used to work for the CIA and I just want you to know that the story is true. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> and he said, but you can also look at the name Valiant Thor as a title. 
And I went, wow, I never thought of it that way. So, um, so I'm not quite sure what he meant by that because it was cryptic. And then they did an incredible rock and roll song. Um, I was there, what was their group called? Anomaly or something like that. It's on iTunes. I think it's, uh, like Valiant Thor, but they, they did great, um, lyrics. Oh my God. It was so good. So anyway, oh, and then, just to sort of extend the bird uh, information right. is um, Admiral Bird in 1956 wrote a letter to a rear admiral at the Pentagon and said, uh, my nephew, Harley, is recently married, has a little boy. He's in the honor guard. And we really would like you to consider him for a position at the DO, at the DOD. So anyway, they, um, uh, so Harley began working at the DOD in early 57, right, uh, before Valiant Thor arrived, right? So he was in Project Blue Book. Mm -hmm. So, he actually wrote the foreword in the book, Stranger at the Pentagon, with the actual case number and reiter reiterated the story there. Now, I also have from the Byrd family the letter, the, the letter that uh, Admiral Byrd wrote to the Rear Admiral and also his honorable discharge papers that showed the exact dates that he worked at the Pentagon, uh, which was during the Valiant Thor time. Oh, this is great. And, yeah. And that he worked in intelligence under special operations. Because, <laughs> <clears throat> you know, they're not going to put Project Blue Book on yeah. their honorable discharge papers. So um, anyway, so that was just an interesting factoid. And then when... When my um, my book agent called me in um, in 2019 and he goes, I got a great idea for a book. And I said, what's that? And he goes, it's called The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac. And I know you could write that book. And he knows because I have a book series called The Autobiography of an Extraterrestrial Saga. Mm -hmm. And he knows all my years of, of being in this, um, immersed in the community. So um, he goes, I could sell that book. So I did a proposal in like a day or two. He sold the book in four days and I was writing the book the following week, literally. So I was like, well, then this really needs to be out there. there there's a reason for this. So maybe something is coming. And then uh, while I was writing the book, I get a phone call uh, from a woman in Canada and she tells me she's my fifth cousin and she's a genealogist, right? She's either fourth or fifth cousin. Mm -hmm. And she's a real genealogist, was looking for information on uh, my mother's father, how that's how we were related. And I gave it to her. And, um, and then I said, look, I have a biological father that I never met. I said, I, I tried to find him when the internet came about. I said, I really do have a father that I love and adore who adopted me when I was one. But it would be interesting to find out who this guy was, right? 
And she goes, I can find anybody. Don't worry. So about six months pass and she sends me this wonderful long email and she goes, well, I found him uh, through DNA. And um, she said he passed away in 2006 and this is where he's buried. So I went down to uh, the cemetery the following morning, went up to the front desk and said, when, when uh, they called for you guys to pick up this man, Fred Vero, who passed away, I said, do you have a name and number of anyone who called? And she goes, well, let me look. And she goes, oh, yeah, I actually have a name, but no number. That's all I have is a name. I said, well, I'll take it. So I went and visited uh, his crypt, and um, and then I came home. I looked this gentleman up. He had a different last name. Uh, it was a 74-year-old man living around the corner from me. And I went, great, there's his address. I wrote him a letter. I stuck my photo in and said, if you know anybody in his family, please pass it along. A few days later, I get a call from um, this man's son. And he said, my dad got your letter. And I said, oh, was your dad uh, friends with him? And he said, no, it's actually his half brother. And I go, oh, so you're my cousin? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I guess I, I guess I am. And so, uh, anyway, they said the, the, they knew that I was related to him because I looked just like him. Now, I never had a picture of him. So I, I don't remember. My mother gave me one when I was a kid and it got lost and I don't know whatever happened to it. So, um, anyway, so we go and we meet for this long three hour dinner. And an hour into our meal, uh, my uncle looks at me and says, well, you know, your father, he, he loved, uh, you know, he loved airplanes and things like that. And he begged our mom to uh, sign a piece of paper to let him go in early because he was underage into the air guard. So she did. And he went in the air guard. And then when he turned 18, he went into the air force. And then he looked at me and he goes, oh, yeah. And by the way, he was in that Project Blue book. <laughs> I mean, never in a million years would I have ever thought that ever. I mean, my jaw was literally on the floor. And I said uh, to my uncle, and uh, and by the way, it's so great. I have this whole new family and everyone is so great. It's really fantastic. So, um, so anyway, my, uh, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. I was going somewhere with that. What did I say right before that? Before hey, they were fantastic. Well, they were fantastic and your father was in Project Blue Book and you were just blown away by it. That, oh, that's right. He, I asked him, I said, well, what did he do? And he said, well, uh, he said he would never talk about it. And then my cousin piped in and said, yeah, me and my brother tried to get him to talk uh, over the years, but he wouldn't say a word. And I said, well, he's really good at keeping secrets because he never told you about me. And I said, I wonder how many other me's are out there. <laughs> so, you know, and they went, hmm. 
So anyway, uh, so my uncle, he said, you know, he was a very fast typist. He would have been in his early 20s or in his early to mid 20s. And, um, and he said, so my guess is, is that he typed up a lot of the blue book reports and he was probably a paper pusher for a general. And, um, and I said, oh, interesting. And, uh, and then I got thinking, wow, he was there during the time of Valiant Thor. What if he typed up the Valiant Thor thing? Or what if he ever read the Valiant Thor file? I'm sure he or, had to. Right? I mean, it's just so coincidental. Um, There's no coincidence. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, because Project Blue Book was the Air Force study on UFOs that started in 52 was decommissioned in January of 70, and it investigated about 11,000 sightings. And the main study was to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security and to scientifically analyze UFO-related data. And then here I'm writing a book for MUFON, which is a US-based nonprofit comprised of civilian volunteers who study reported UFO sightings, right? right. So. So I'm like, okay, well, that's in our DNA. That's, that's strange. And then I said, well, what did he do? And he goes, well, at a certain point, he felt he wasn't going to have a career in the Air Force, and he didn't like it anymore. So um, he came back to L.A., and he met somebody who got him into IATSE, which is uh, um, the union. And he became the head of construction at Warner Brothers and built sets for all their movies and television shows. Oh, who's a movie maker? He's a movie maker. Like you. Just like me. <laughs> just like me. Right? And then he was there for years and years and years. And then when he left there, he opened up his own scenic shop and he built uh, sets for the Hollywood Bowl. And then he, he either built or designed and built um, sets for these huge stars concerts. Elton John, Michael Jackson, Neil Diamond, Alice Cooper. Um, and he even built the sets for the Bing Crosby special with David Bowie. Oh, wow. Yeah, and my uncle said, "Yeah, he gave me he gave me David Bowie's shoes and they never really <laughs> meant anything to me and I threw them away and I'm like, now I'm like going, god, you're so stupid. You should have kept those shoes." <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So, um so yeah, so there it is. It was in our DNA and then um and then I have a stepbrother and two stepsisters and uh, they got to go to the Alice uh, Cooper concert and they shared all those pictures with me and um, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, so it, it's just amazing that it is in your DNA. It literally is there. And um, and I really feel like I know who he was because I met all of them and uh, were able to glean his whole life and uh 
who he was and that kind of thing and the three kids uh, which was the love of his life uh, his wife's kids um they just loved him they mm-hmm. just said they just said it was you know he was like an incredible human being so so there you go so all of that sort of ties in like all of these all of the bird family you know, through all of these different things and as i was telling you before we started the show and i also went to richard e bird junior high school mm-hmm. so i started learning about uh, the bird family back then and then you know hearing all the stories of admiral bird's uh voyage into the uh inner earth and uh things of that nature yeah um were just fascinating so that is yeah. that is incredible, and, and it's like even like I find this what interesting is to call it synchronicities that has have happened to me with this because it, it all started with that guy Olaf Phelps that I was telling you about talking about Valley and Thor, and yeah. he brought up the Antarctica base. He goes, "Oh, I only know one guy who who's been there," and I said, and he mentioned his name. I said, "Oh, I know that guy." <laughs> You know, so so I, I got that guy back in my podcast. He came on my podcast. I I, I released the episode and I posted it in a bunch of Facebook groups, and that's when uh, Admiral Bird's great granddaughter <laughs> messaged me and gave me her phone number, and I'm like, wow, you know. And then I'm wow. here I am talking to you about it, and and I'm I'm just blown away by like, you know. <clears throat> There's definitely truth, you know what I mean? Yes. All, all these synchronicities and truth, you know, and, and also like like there's like another missing piece that I want to, would like to investigate, which is the, you know, the Edgar Mitchell part of it too. But I haven't gotten any, pro, you know, because he's one of the people that supposedly were in that base and went down with Bird. Yeah, I don't know... Um I don't know anything about that, but I think Kathleen Marden know might know uh, a lot more about the Edgar Mitchell uh, a story and that kind of thing. She was mm-hmm. Betty Hill's niece, or she is Betty Hill's niece. Oh, really? And, yeah. Oh, wait. You know, I think I may have reached out to her already. Yes, yes. I don't think I, I, I haven't heard yeah. back from her. Well, just just keep emailing her because they are re-releasing captured uh, the Betty and Barney Hill story in April, and she has all kinds of new information in there, and um, uh, that's also I think being I've released. Out to Maybe through, I haven't. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah, reach well, out to so not, many people; it's hard for me to keep track of. I know, I know, and a lot of people sort of uh, lose it. But I know she was on vacation for a little while, so maybe she hasn't caught up with her emails. We'll just send another yeah. one. What was her That's name? What I, uh, Kathy Martin, K-A-T-H-Y, or Kathleen Martin, M-A-R-D-E-N. And I, uh, if her what? Uh, I'm not sure if her website's Kathleen Martin. Or not, but if you type her name in, it, it all comes up, and you can, uh, you know, get in there and uh, uh, see more. So they're doing a re-release of the book with a bunch of new information. Oh, yeah, there um, she is. Yeah, 
and mm-hmm. she uh, she wrote the book with Stanton Friedman, of course. So, yeah, so, another person uh, I'd love to get a hold of. <laughs> well, he passed away. You oh, know, that's right. Yeah, year. yeah, yeah. He passed yeah, away. He passed away. Clifford Stone just passed away. I think Robert Dean just passed away. Uh, all, so, all, all the greats. All the greats. They were all the greats. Jim Mars passed away years uh, ago. I, I knew Jim. Awesome. Yeah, he was awesome. But he, I knew him before I started this. Like I knew him. Like, oh, God. I was wow. like in the 90s. <laughs> I think it was. Mm-hmm. I used to talk to him on a abovetopsecret.com. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I think I, I do know he uh, talked about seeing other vehicles and things like that in outer space when he was there. So he was like, you know, we're definitely not alone. And he does believe that uh, the majority of them are benevolent. So, yeah. so, so what, you know, the, the question is with all this evidence and, and you know, disclosure. Disclosure is like the one thing I have a question about. Um, you know, I had Stephen, I don't know if you know him, Stephen Bassett. Oh, yeah, I know him well. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. talking to him last week, and uh, you know, he was telling me within the next two and a half years is going to be disclosure, and that the government is basically has picked um, you know, Tom DeLong's organization to the Stars Academy as their outlet. Well, I thought that disbanded. Um, I think a lot of the original guys left it. So, because mm-hmm. I think, I can't be sure, but I heard that a lot of the original guys, but maybe Tom DeLong is still there. Right. And, well, he, and, I think we're, he's mostly re, was uh, referring to uh, Chris Mellon and Luis Alessandro. Mm-hmm. I believe they were the ones that left to the stars. Oh, okay. I didn't know they left already. Yeah, that I mean, that's what I heard. Um, everyone who's listening to this, just you know, check it online <laughs> if you want to check fact it. But, um, but I I do believe that To the Stars was doing that, and they were trying to get a lot of these things out into the public. And uh, Louis Alizondo had you know that wonderful show on History Channel, unidentified, unidentified, yep. and that type of thing. So, um. But I don't, I, everyone always asks about how do you think disclosure is going to come about? And I, I just don't know if they're ever going to come out and just say it. I think it's going to happen maybe organically. I think they're allowing people now to have all kinds of dialogues because they know it's gotten beyond the point where they can't control it anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, and there's so many sightings. There's so many Mm -hmm. things. I mean, uh, uh, I talk to agents and managers and things and I'm always like, just look up in the sky. You'll probably see something. And they do. And they take a picture and, an agent got a gigantic donut-shaped silver discus hmm. up above Hollywood, and it was crystal clear. Um, I have a, a husband and wife uh, friends in uh, New York, and they they are given signals 
by the benevolent ETs to when to go to Central Park, walk out of their apartment, go into Central Park, and they shoot their camera up above, and they get different shaped craft every single day. And it's been going on for years and years and years. That's amazing. So there are this, there are certain people um, uh, like, uh, well, we know, well, the very first person that was calling in, um, calling in craft uh, through meditation and things like that was Alfred K. Bender. I, I have this in, in the uh, ET Species Almanac book and uh, under Men in Black because he was the first one who was doing this with his with his UFO group, and this was the very first time the Men in Black appeared to him right. to tell him to stop, and then they appeared to him one more time, and he disbanded everything. And um, so, uh, but but we know that that when you put yourself in this heart based space that you can um you can make a mental contact you can talk to them telepathically you could teleport yourself on board their craft with asking permission first um and of course you only do this with saying i with benevolent beings <laughs> that kind of thing especially if you're a beginner right. and um and I always say, if you get any weird feeling in your gut, stop, mm -hmm. because then that's that's your truth signal right there. Um, you know, there's a difference between fearing the experience and then getting a dark feeling in your gut uh, that you know that they're bad, uh, they're bad beings. So, um, and you know, and then there's places like East City Ranch that uh, people can go to, and they can stay on the ranch, or they can get a hotel close by, and that type of thing. And um, you can go there and uh, sky watch at night, uh, looking over uh, Mount St. Adams, and uh, and then um, and then when the craft come in, uh, the uh, employees there, uh, one employee will have a laser and everyone will focus their intention on that craft and then the laser will point to the craft in the sky and then everyone will ask it to power up and then the crafts power up really big and bright and they'll move around at your command and uh, things like that. So, and craft are seen uh, in the form of light going in and out of the mountain all the time. So, yeah, yeah, I, I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a real fascinating place. I've been there, um, and uh, uh, people can uh, stay on the land there as well. You just have to make a reservation. You go to eSeti. dot com or dot org, and e c e t i. And you can rent tents or they have communal uh, houses or little yurts and things of that nature. Um, and when we went, we rented a cabin. There was a place literally down the street where there were these wonderful houses with uh, little cabins. And so we stayed there uh, because it had the comforts of home, like 
a toilet, (laughs) a shower, uh, because Eddie said you have to use communal toilets and showers. So, yeah. So anyway, but uh, yeah, there there is just so much out there, and it's um, you know it's just interesting for uh, people to read. And uh, and by the way, if anybody's interested in seeing uh, the short film stranger at the pentagon if you have amazon prime it's on amazon prime or you can see it on the website stranger at the pentagon.com uh you can learn more about the story there there's pictures of valiant thor and uh his vice commander don as well and um and then I also have all of Dr. Uh, Dr. Frank has about four out of print books, including Stranger at the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. They're all brand new. And I have the last remaining copies. I think I've got 30 DVDs left known to man of the movie of people wanted on DVD. <laughs> Plus I did, but I did behind the scenes and stuff. So that's, that's the only cool. place you can see the behind the scenes stuff. And then, um, and then I've got all the posters, uh, the movie poster. I've got a poster of Victor One and its blueprints, a poster of the Starship. And then I've got um, about 20 of the original book posters uh, that the uh, publisher gave me. So, um, so those are there. And then uh, if people are interested in uh, the Extraterrestrial Species Almanac, they can go to my website, autobiography of unanet.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the homepage is my autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga books. It's a four part series. They can buy the books there or buy all four in one click, either in hardcover or softcover. And then up in the tab, it says other books. If you click on other books, uh, that'll take you to purchase the extraterrestrial species almanac. So they're just uh, PayPal buttons. And uh, make sure you click, there's the button, but if you don't click the buy part of the button, it won't work. I have so many people emailing, it won't work. I go, I know, just click the buy part. So, yeah, anyway. I, I definitely need to get an autographed copy of this book. Oh, yeah. Well, just go there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's, you know, about, uh, I put 82 races in. There is a lot more that I, I could have put in. Mm-hmm. But what I, um, I chose 82 because Paul Hellyer, the former Canadian Minister of Defense, uh, in our most recent interview, talked about he knew of 82 races visiting us. Right. So I thought I'll, p- I'll pick the number and honor Mr. Hellyer. Well, I'll definitely post the links to those in the notes of this episode, so our list- oh, my listeners you. will be able to click on them and, and buy them. And plus, I'm definitely going to be buying one as well myself because it's definitely something I have to have. Yes. Um. So what? is the most hostile race out there like which one should we fear the most well there are interestingly enough there are um uh there are the dark the 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 evil grays there are different sets there are like reptilians draconians um some of them are gigantic and massive um and they're very aggressive um 
and then there are some that aren't. And uh, so, again, when we talk about these things, we always want to say judge the individual, not the race, mm-hmm. right? Because it's the same here on Earth. There's lots of bad people on Earth uh, doing horrific things. And then there's good people. So uh, we don't want to misjudge the um, the good people okay, as well. So, so we don't want to mistake the races of bad race when there's just bad ones of certain races. Of certain of certain ones, yes. and and there are some, by the way, that um, uh, that may be in. Uh, like, let's take a reptilian if it's in there, and if it decides that it doesn't want that life anymore, it can sort of defect and go and um, and uh, go uh, and join another society and and get out of that sort of rat race mm-hmm. as well. But then, you know, they have to follow the um, things of where those beings might get uh, agitated with it and follow it and try and do it harm as well. So... There's so much. I mean, there's just so much out there. There, there's also, um, uh, I was talking to a gentleman last night and he was talking about a tall black gray. And I said, I know. I said, I have them in the book. Uh, they're called, uh, I think they're, we call them, uh, Anon, A-N-O-N or something. Um, see, let me see if that's what the race was called. I believe that's what it was. Um, but he woke up in the middle of the night and this thing was literally on top of him, staring him down in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Or Oron, I'm sorry, Oron, O-R-O-N. O-R-O-N, Orons. And um, and uh, uh, greys and reptilians also have this sort of thing that they can do, which is called a telepathic hypnosis, which sort of bends humans to their will. And in every case that I have ever read about that this has happened, but the only case where it didn't work was in the case of Travis Walton when he was on board the craft and the two gray beings were trying to use a telepathic hypnosis when, when he leapt off off the table after seeing them and freaked out when he woke up mm-hmm. and uh, uh, grabbed a, a tube and broke it and tried to use the sharp, sharp edges to as a weapon and they were then piercing their eyes and he could feel them invading his soul uh, and how invasive that was. And he fought them off and they could not regain control of them. So they left the room. Hmm. So that was the only case that I ever heard of that it, that it didn't work. What do you so, think about the, do you think there's a secret space program that the United States or, or maybe world governments have that involve creating hybrids with extraterrestrials. Um, and I'm asking this question because I'm sure you've probably heard of him, Corey Good. Right. Uh huh. 
I, I don't, I, I haven't watched any of his videos in a very, very long time, but, um, but yes, I mean, there are, there are all kinds of programs for hybrids and things of that nature. So I would say, um, that yes, that, that there are there. I actually believe, and this is not anything I can prove or anything of that nature, but I believe that not only is there the more negative fraction of the government, meaning the military industrial complex, but I also believe that there is a good section of the government that's secret as well. And they're doing everything in secret to sort of offset everything that the other one is doing and to bring more, uh, and to bring earth into a better place. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that they're probably working with the good ETs and doing that. Hmm. Do you think that the human race was placed here by extraterrestrials that we were actually the result of a hybrid program? Well, Dr. Frank told me that um, the first race that he learned of that was living on Earth, uh, it was called the Land of Othello, I believe, or Othello, something, something like that. Right. And that they were, they were humans. And that then uh, they sort of, one was in one part of the world and one moved to another part of the world and one started getting more egotistical and um, uh, they began warring and doing all kinds of things. And, and, and so that was the demise of that. And then Earth was just sort of this beautiful planet at the edge of the universe. So there was lots of beings coming to and fro. Um, who knows how many civilizations were built by all different ET races? We know, I mean, a lot of people think it's a big giant experiment. Um, uh, but I often wondered how did all these beautiful skin colors get here, right? Right. How do all these different races get here? Did they all come at different parts of time to come and live in a in a free world, and and then over time it all sort of degenerated, mm -hmm. um, and then you hear the stories of Lemuria and Atlantis, right? And you you know you hear about that and then you so i don't know i mean it would be really nice at a certain point i do know that once the world rejoins universal society we will have the true access to the history of earth and and uh, to the universe so right. um but you kind of do acknowledge that what we do know isn't the whole picture oh god yeah there is <laughs> definitely right. not the whole picture so <laughs> All right. So that's for sure. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And yeah, it totally is. Because I think I think that's the big question in my mind. It's like, how do we get? Because Darwinism doesn't quite add up for me. No, no, that doesn't add up for me either. <laughs> nor, 
nor did it uh, for Dr. Frank and uh, Valiant Thor and all of that because he had many conversations with him and that type of thing. So, um, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, we all go back to what was first, the chicken or the egg? Mm-hmm. How, did, how did humans get here? But, I mean, the this place is billions and billions of years old and then there's other universes there's other super universes there's all kinds of things i mean the urantia book talks about seven super universes and within each that's a heavy read (laughs) yeah there are seven hundred thousand local universes and we're just a local universe that is so massive and so gigantic and earth's registration number is in the trillions, right? So again, it's all so big and all of that. And uh, I mean, I truly believe as well, I have always thought this way, also the Clarions believe this as well, that all planets are schools and we move from planet to planet Mm -hmm. every time we graduate from college and, and we have learned everything that we can learn on that world here. We're learning duality. We're learning uh, how to process thoughts, how to control and to um, uh, use our emotions correctly and wisely and use them from our heart instead of our ego and our anger and, uh, and our service to self and start moving into service to others. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, uh, I, I mean, that's where I think, uh, everyone here, lots of people on the planet are going. I mean, we have had such an evolutional leap since the seventies, um, uh, spiritually, uh, in, in a, in a lot of ways. And then there's still a lot of dense areas on the planet that need, uh, some, uh, some raising up as well. But, uh, but eventually it all, it, everyone right will rise up. And, uh, you know, some people believe that when, when we move into the next dimension, those that aren't ready just get left here to continue their evolution. Hmm. So, but I don't know. Right. I mean, I, I'm along for the ride, though. <laughs> Me too. Like, I, I think I came here originally for the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and and now I have this podcast to try to redeem myself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's so great, but but it is fun. I I, I love being curious and being open to all the yeah. possibilities, and and and. It is completely unlimited. Yes, completely unlimited. And that's that's why I always tell everybody, even though it sounds bizarre and strange, it could be real. You just never know. I, I've, I've met with a lot of uh, really big um, thinkers and people who are way more awake than me. And... Um, and they talk, you know, they, they talk to me about, uh, about being awake and being and knowing things um, 
that others don't know and and uh, what a responsibility that is and that kind of thing and they say because you know the weirder it sounds it means it's probably true <laughs> and i agree I, with that i totally yeah, agree yeah and they know because they they are in the know mm -hmm. because they were in high levels of positions that would know those things so yeah Awesome. So it's amazing. It's amazing. All right. So thank you for being on. And before we wrap this up, one more time, can you give out your websites? Sure. Uh, stranger at the Pentagon.com. People can watch the short film there or on Amazon Prime. And uh, my autobiography of an extraterrestrial book series. There's four books. Uh, the first one's called I Am Tehran. Uh, those are at autobiographyofanet.com. And you can also go to that same website for the extraterrestrial species almanac and just click up in the tab uh, other books. And it's uh, the first book on the page. You can scroll down. There's other books there, too, that I've written, one that I just put out. Uh, from a movie I cast over 25 years ago because they just re-released it on Blu-ray. So I did a, a wonderful picture story book from the set. Mm -hmm. uh, it was called The Silence of the Hands. It was oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. It was great talking to you. And, and um, you know, keep on Kathy. <laughs> get her on your show yeah i'm definitely <laughs> going to give her a try yeah um Perfect. yeah so uh thanks for being on this is an awesome episode and you're welcome back anytime thank you and uh just hang on one moment and i'll play the outro and we'll wrap it up thank you for listening to everything imaginable on kgra radio you can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.